everyone, welcome to Knickknack Nerd. I'm here with my friend Anthony Keelan. I'm Greg Burlett, and today is part two of cryptography, codes, code making, code breaking, and today we are talking about unsolved ciphers. Should be pretty fun. A little bit of uh, story time by the campfire, right? Yeah, some story time. Yeah. So last episode, we went into kind of the more nitty gritty of uh, pen and paper ciphers and then getting into modern cryptography um, with RSA and and pretty good privacy and, uh, you know, passwords in general and all that kind of stuff. Um, now we're going to be getting into kind of like the more pop culture um, ciphers that have still not been solved after long periods of time. Um, dating all the way back to, like, I think I, one of the stories uh, that we're going to get into is from 1820. When was the um, the Dorabella ones from? I can't remember, but the, the Voynich one is from 1420. Oh, okay, way, yeah, way older. Um, so there's still things from uh, the 15th century that have been um, unsolved to this date, um, which is really, really cool, and they've completely captivated um, large audiences of people um, just based on the pure mystery of it to try and decode these things to figure out what they actually mean. Um, actually, we were talking last time about um, language being a code, right? And uh, hieroglyphs were unsolved for like the longest time, right? And then we finally figured those out. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, a lot of these stories that we're going to get into are kind of shrouded in mystery and uh, are just super interesting to get into. Um, a lot of them have to do with um, with death and serial killers and uh, just a really a lot of really cool stuff. Um, so I think the first one um, Anto's going to get into is uh, you know the Zodiac Killer, right? You want to take it away? Yeah. So the yeah yeah I'll take it away here. Yeah, the Zodiac Killer. Um, you know when you're talking about unsolved ciphers, that's one that comes top of pretty much anyone's mind that knows even a little bit about ciphers, right? Um, you know, he was a killer in 1969, California, caused huge amounts of hysteria. Um, what he did was he he killed, I think, two couples, and, and one couple actually got away, so they got a description of him and stuff like that. Um, and so he, after, after he, you know, murdered those two couples, he sent in a cipher to three newspapers, um, and he actually sent different parts of the same cipher to three newspapers and Wait, told three, them to print it or he would go on a killing spree. Three different parts? Sorry? Uh, three different parts of the cipher? Like, yeah, uh, so he'd send like the first, he sent like the first so ever many characters to, to one oh, paper, gotcha. the second bit to the next, and so split up into three pieces, basically. Right. Um, you know, that it's really interesting because that, that happens to a lot of serial killers um, and it often becomes their undoing. Um, where oh definitely where they go to kill someone or uh, you know in this case it, it was a couple that got away right um, and then they yeah. they form a description of this person uh, didn't that happen to was it Ted Bundy um, that happened to him as well like he was stalking someone in a mall parking lot and they eventually like fought their way out and gave a description of the guy and then they get police sketches and stuff like that but this guy not the case because. Still, no one knows who he is, right? Um, yeah, no one still knows who he is to this day. There's lots of guesses of who he could be. There's some strong suspects during the investigation. But he, he sent out four ciphers to the newspapers overall. Um, one, um, the longest one, was decoded over a weekend by a teacher and his wife, uh, Donald Harden and his wife, Betty. Uh, they decoded it over a weekend by hand, pen and paper, no computers, no nothing. Um, just, you know, trial and error. Was this before the New York Times crossword? Like, they're just bored on a Sunday? This is what, <laughs> this is what they're doing? Yeah, so the, the papers posted um, the cipher as they were requested so no one would get murdered. Um, well, no one else would get murdered, right? Right. And uh, the police asked people, like, you know, if you can try to solve it, try to solve it. So they, they took took a stab at it and I think it took them like 20 hours or, or something like that. And oh, I like the pun took a stab at it. 
That was great. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> yeah, you know, dad life. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so they solved that cipher, um, and it it's you know pretty widely accepted that their solution is correct. Um. Um. So know, and so, can you give us some insight into um, you know, because we're doing this over audio. Can you give us an insight into what the ciphertext looked like? Like, was it um, scrambled, just alphanumeric characters, or were they interesting-looking characters, or you know, what did it kind of look like? Yeah, for sure. So his cipher uh, was really, really interesting. It looks really cool um, when you look at it. It looked like really interesting puzzle. Like it could be from a video game or something, right? Mm. It's got, it's got regular letters it's got letters like reverse like mirror image of themselves or like turned sideways um it has like triangles it's got like half moons or circles with half of it shaded in or boxes with you know a diagonal and then half of it shaded in and and all sorts of different symbols um to make up the cipher and his different ciphers have different numbers of symbols in them like the the, the first cipher that was solved um had less symbols than um the slightly shorter uh, cipher that came about three months later. Interesting. So that that one that that they decoded in the twenty hours over the weekend. Uh, you know, what did it say? It said, um, "I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill. Something gives me the most thrilling experience." Huh. Okay. So there's. You you pronounce dangerous, so there's obviously some like there is some there's some uh spelling either errors or issues with the the deciphering of the message, right? Um maybe intentional on his part, so it'd be easier um to disguise uh his plain text. Right. Yeah, that's uh that's something that that's often done. Um and that, that kind of mm-hmm. pops up in, in you know one of the stories that I'm gonna go over too. Um, actually, like swapping out certain letters, probably to obfuscate um the actual you know plain text or or how to decrypt it or something like that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty common. Uh, people like they'll they'll use like a shorthand or slang often as well, um, just to make it that much harder. Cool. Um, so like, what what became of him? What became of him? Yeah. Nobody knows. Um, so we sent in. So th- you know, three months after that first one. Uh, was solved. So what the teachers solved it, they sent their, uh, you know, deciphered plain text to the newspaper and the newspapers printed it. Um, they also printed like how, uh, the couple had gone about solving, uh, the cipher. Okay. So basically what they did was they looked for, um, bigrams or like two letters that are always together. Mm-hmm. Um, and be- like, obviously he says, I like killing, um, killing, uh, he's got like killing and thrilling and kill in there and all a lot. So like, I like killing. It's so thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he was a fan of the theater. Who knows? Maybe. Um, yeah. So so that's how they started, and so they published all these details about how how the couple had solved it, and so he had basically three months to refine his approach uh, before he sent in his next cipher, um, which is still unsolved uh, to this day. Has not been broken. Uh, though it has consumed the life of many, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Specifically, um, Robert Graysmith, the guy that wrote the the book Zodiac, and another book called Zodiac Unmasked, he blames his failed marriage on his oh damn obsession with the Zodiac killer. Yeah, so he was he was fairly uh, fairly involved like throughout the process. Like back in 1969, when it was ongoing, he 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 was really obsessed with it. Um, and he wrote a book. Yeah, about a lot it. of times um um with these kind of unsolved ciphers, it's uh detectives that were working on these cases just they get so consumed with these and they still work on them even though they're like 90 to this day or something like that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's like it's like that thing that you uh you know, the one that got away, I guess. Exactly. Wasn't um the the last message that he sent in, wasn't it supposed to be his um his identity or something like that. Like, wasn't he super pompous about, um, uh, like you will, you, you'll never catch me basically. And I've just pretty much encoded my name. Here you go. 
well that that's interesting right so um what he sent in he sent in two smaller messages one was 32 characters long um hasn't been solved obviously it's super short difficult to decode that right uh, but right. the last one he sent in was 13 characters long well he sent in a message in plain text it said this is my name and then a enciphered piece of text that was 13 characters long right mm. so super super short so even though like yes he sent in his you know encoded name really there's no way to actually tell what his name is other than it's a name of 13 characters well it could even not be 13 characters right it could like, you it could, could have characters be that, that represent that... two characters right so right yeah yeah because it, it's not even um uh like regular alphabet characters right like there are a whole bunch exactly. of half moons and stuff you said right so it could yep. be that like a half moon and a trident is an a or something like that right like we don't know yeah it could be anything like that so um obviously there was a a suspect in uh, the murderers named ed edwards um obviously ed edwards is a marvel name edward edwards yes so edward edwards is 13 letters long so a lot of people that's think, conspicuous yeah a lot of people <laughs> think that this um that that's who he was um and they have all sorts of um kind of justification to this where they look at um the different symbols used to encode the letter like there's some like backwards c's and a letter made up of backwards d's that are used they think in their version of or their solution of how it goes is um using the spelling of the d's in Ed edwards so um but they could just as soon mean anything else. <laughs> right. Let's, do, you, do you know how many uh, people the Zodiac Killer killed? Uh, you know what? I don't know that number off the top of my hand, but he had... Definitely more than one by definition, right? Like, he's a serial killer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he killed at least four people because those two couples at the start, right? At least four, okay. Because there's the two couples you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. And they, there's a bunch yeah. of other murders that happened around that time. Um, that they just don't have enough details to attribute to him or not because mm -hmm. they don't know who it was. And so if they did know that, they could compare like DNA evidence or whatever to the to the remaining um, cases. So oh, there, gotcha. it's an unknown amount of people that he killed, basically. Hmm. That that's um that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I looked at I looked at pictures of the ciphertext, and I agree, it looks really cool. Um, I, I could see how people would be consumed by that. Certainly. Just to, to go back to Robert Graysmith a little bit more, the guy that wrote the book. Yeah. Um, so he, in his book, he claims to have decoded that the, the second message, the 340 character message that came out three months after the first message. Yeah. Um, but if you look in his book, um, it's just gibberish. And then he has um, rearranged the letters like almost arbitrarily to, to make words. <laughs> well, this uh, is what we were talking about in the first episode that yeah. uh like the first part of of this was that y y you can move around stuff to to make it say pretty much whatever you want right yeah so he Doesn't does mean it's right he does that in his book he, he presents a solution and he actually states um that the american cryptogram association has affirmed his solution and, and like condoned it so he says he has letters from two members of the, the aca and um, so no but one has been are... able to substantiate that at all. So he, he's been known to kind of conflate the truth a little bit. Um, how so... would the American Cryptogram Association, how would, if, unless one of them was Ed Edwards, potentially the Zodiac Killer, how could they substantiate his claim? Like, how could, how could they put a rubber stamp of approval on it and say that's correct? They, they basically put their stamp of approval saying, like, your solution makes sense, your reasoning is sound. Um, okay i gotcha right um but that comes back to another thing the police were working on during that like solving of the case right they were trying to get the the zodiac killer uh to figure out who he was so one of like because he was enciphering his messages they went to the aca and were like okay we need a list of your members and they were trying to take a list of the members and look at like who's in who lives in california and is this the right age right right so they tried so to do that as well obviously profiling didn't really go anywhere but they attempted that right ah, that's that's super interesting um hey cool do you have anything else to say about that that you want to get into about the zodiac killer 
other than I'd really love to know who it was. No. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. That'd be pretty amazing. So basically, if you were to solve, like, actually solve, not just claim to solve, because many p- people have claimed to solve this stuff. Mm-hmm. If you have actually solved it, you would just be in a media frenzy. It'd be a media frenzy. You'd probably have job offers from various law enforcement agencies. Yeah, like, like you, you'd pretty much be set. People would be all over you, but you'd be also, you know, met with a huge amount of speculation and people like really second guessing what you're saying, right? Because so many people have claimed to solve it before and have been completely off base. Exactly. Like these cases are so famous uh, and they've drawn so many, the attention of so many brilliant people and people that are well versed in cryptography who can't solve it. If you were to just come by and be like, yeah, you know, I spent uh, the weekend. Instead of doing the crossword, I did this and I solved it. People would be like, no, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, all right. So um, changing gears, you want to go to treasure hunting? Yeah, let's do some treasure hunting. Let's do some treasure hunt. A good old fashioned treasure hunt. A cowboy um, treasure hunt, really. Yeah, for sure. This one is... Uh, colloquially known as the Beale Papers. Um, it's from around 1820 um, in the U.S., specifically around uh, Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, so basically the story is this. A man named Thomas Beale rides into uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, checks himself into the Washington Hotel. So he made a whole bunch of friends, he left. He stayed there a pretty long time. Left. Then he came back, uh, you know, quite a while later, uh, about two years later. And the second time, he left the innkeeper, Robert Morris, a locked iron box. And he said, all he said to him was, these papers are of value and importance. Kind of sounds like a World of Warcraft uh, quest. Or a D&D quest yep, or something definitely like does. that, right? Like, it's just super vague. You know it's important, but it's a side quest, and, you know, maybe you'll get to it eventually. So um, he basically said, I'm going to come back for these. I just need you to keep these for safekeeping in case something happens to me because, you know, I, I discovered something kind of cool, and I, I just I need you to hold on to these. I'll be back. Guy never returned, right? So um, Morris apparently keeps this box for 23 years without opening it. Like, my boy, my boy Thomas Beale, he's coming back. He told me he's coming back. That's a man of his word right there. That is a man of his word. 23 years without opening that box. 23 years. So, apparently, 23 years goes by. And uh, he's like, well, you know, 23 years, this guy's probably dead. He's not coming back. He said he was going to be back way earlier. Uh, So he finally breaks open the box. In this box is a letter handwritten by, by Thomas Beale. It's in plain text, so you can read it. And also three other ciphertexts um, that can't be read because they're in ciphertext. Um, so the plain text note basically goes over this whole story. Um, so this is verbatim the note that I'm going to read. So he says... Um, he went on an expedition across the U.S. when the party, encamped in a small ravine, were preparing their evening meal when one of the men discovered in a cleft of the rocks something that had the appearance of gold. Upon showing it to the others, it was pronounced to be gold, and much excitement was the natural consequence. Uh, so basically, these guys were going on an expedition across the U.S., found a cache of gold of some sort. It was actually gold and silver, um, according to the note. And uh, he was with 29 other guys on this expedition, and they just spent the time mining this uh, stockpile of, of minerals, of rich minerals, right? So they that's kind of like the back and forth to the, the inn, was they were mining, and then he went to the inn to go, like, figure out what to do with with uh, you know all the stuff that they had found and then he went back to go help them mine again and then they traveled back to for, 
to Virginia. I believe this was in Santa Fe or something like that in New Mexico, where they actually found these, uh, the gold and the silver. Then they wanted to travel back to Virginia to bury the treasure. Um, Are they pirates? Yeah, I know. Like, who's burying (laughs) treasure? Just uh... so apparently they had two covered wagons that they were. They had a whole caravan of these twenty nine guys and all this gold and silver in two two wagons. They made multiple deposits to uh, the location where they buried it, and um, so apparently they they noted the date of the first drop of gold and silver, and then they mined some more, went back and dropped it. Um, they also traded in some gold and silver for jewels, um, and then they dropped the jewels in there as well. Well, why'd they um, do that? Uh, why did they trade it in? Yeah, why would they trade it in? I think they, um, from what I could read, they said that they traded it in for, um, I think it was safe passage, and uh, also for transportation is what they said. Right, because the jewels so, weigh less than the gold and silver. I, I actually I don't think it had to do with with that because they had you know several tons of gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Um, the the amount that's buried is forty three million dollars of gold and silver in today's standards. So it's a estimated, hefty amount. right? Estimated, yeah. According to to um, what's actually written okay. um, in the deciphered text, so it's forty three mil. Um, so it, it's a substantial amount of gold and silver. So, yeah, maybe they traded in for, for jewels to be a little bit lighter. But at that point, like, they have you know, horse and buggy carriages. They're just, you know, bringing around the goods, right? So I think I read that it was um, basically it was like a bartering thing. Like, they traded in some gold and silver and then they to pay for passage or something. And then they got some jewels back. Anyway, so there's jewels. There's gold. There's silver. Um, there's also three ciphertext that's in there. Um, <clears throat> Morris kept on to these documents, so he, he kept them. He didn't really know what to do with them. He spent a lot of his life, um, trying to solve them. Um, then when, you know, he was very old and he felt like, you know, my time was coming to an end, he gave them to his friend and his friend was like, all right, guys, we're going to make some money off this. And he printed the ciphertext, the three ciphertext documents. And the original note, um, he printed them in a pamphlet and sold them for 50 cents each. So we basically like printed off a whole bunch of these little pamphlets and sold them for 50 cents each at the time. Um, in today's expensive. money, yeah, in today's money, it's about like 15 USD, like 14, 15 USD. Um, so like 15 bucks. He was selling each pamphlet. Basically, there's hidden treasure here. Pay, pay me, you know, 15 bucks. And you can have the opportunity to go find this treasure. Like basically, you know, selling a treasure map, essentially, right? Investment of a lifetime. So based on that fact alone, there's a lot of speculation about where the provenance of these ciphertexts actually came from. For example, uh, was it just him trying to make a quick buck? And making uh, like a made-up treasure hunt to sell these pamphlets to make uh, yeah, tons of money, right? It seems yep. like a great idea. Um, so there's a lot of speculation that it's actually a hoax. Um, so the first ciphertext, so this is what it said in, in the plain text note that Beale apparently wrote. The first ciphertext is the exact location of the treasure, and it's buried somewhere in Virginia. And uh, he said that once you have read the plain text of the first ciphertext, it shouldn't be that hard to find. Like it should be, it's in a notable spot where you'd be able to find it. The second uh, ciphertext is the contents of the treasure. So it's going to be like how much is in there, you know, how it's stored and, and everything like that, right? And the third one is the names of the 30 men um that were doing you know the expedition and then the i believe the next of kin so they were they were kind of worried about who was going to get this treasure after um and that was part of the reason why beale apparently gave this ciphertext to to morris um to kind of preserve the next of kin for the treasure 
You, so, you just want to make sure their families get taken care of then. Pretty much. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to us if someone were to find out that we had all this cash, and I just want to make sure that, like, it, it's basically noted who's going to get this, right? Right. Um. So basically, the ciphertext is all comma-separated value numbers, which is a whole bunch of numbers. That's what it looks like. Um. So, like, 836, comma, 26, comma, 1, comma, like that. That's all the ciphertext. The second... Uh, ciphertext was solved by Morris's friend, the guy who printed the pamphlets. Conspicuously, the second ciphertext is the contents of the treasure, which would be very important to get people excited uh, to buy these pamphlets, right? That says how much money is hiding, right? It says how much money is hiding, but it doesn't say where and, you know, the Mexican stuff, right? So a very important piece, you know, to get people hyped about your, uh, your pamphlets that you're about to sell. Um, not that I'm biased or anything, that this is a hoax. Um, but uh, the second uh, ciphertext, the numbers that he used, so like 836, referenced the first letter um, in the 800 and whatever word in the, um, what's the independence document in the United States? Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of, yeah, the American Declaration of Independence. Um, so they... Reference that document, go to the 836th word, grab the first letter, and that forms your plain text. Right, so, so after like, they did uh, that... Sorry, go sorry. ahead. Yeah, so like so, sort of like a book cipher. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, pretty much a book cipher. Um, so this is the plain text of that. It says, I have deposited in the county of Bedford, about four miles from Bufords, in an excavation or vault... Six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles. The deposit consists of 2,921 pounds of gold, 5,100 pounds of silver, <clears throat> also jewels obtained in St. Louis in exchange for silver to save transportation. Okay, so it was to save transportation, you're right. Uh, the above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone, and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with others. Um, so this thing is buried six feet underground somewhere. That's it. Through a kind of twist of fate, if this actually was a hoax, and the guy, uh, so the guy printed off a whole bunch of these pamphlets to sell for 50 cents each, um, and they all burned up in a warehouse fire. Um, so the guy ended <laughs> up making making no money off of this. So if it was a hoax, it just blew up in his face uh, hilariously. Um, to this day... No one has solved the the first ciphertext or the third one. Um, so no one knows where the treasure is. Um, a lot of people are kind of thinking it's a hoax, but again, it has consumed the lives of tons and tons of people. Um, a, a lady was famously um, arrested for <laughs> grave defamation because um, she thought that she had decoded the first ciphertext where it was hidden and it led her to a graveyard and she just started digging up the place. Wow. <laughs> That's commitment. So, uh, yep, the cops uh, tagged her for that one. Um, so there's just a lot of people in, in and around that area, in uh, the Bedford area in uh, Virginia, uh, that are on private property and the police get involved and they just start digging. Um, there's one group of... Um, grad students or something like that um that thought that they had solved the ciphertext and then um it, it ended up that the place that they had to go was private property and then they made a deal with the guy that anything that they find will be split half half and they didn't actually end up finding anything after digging a whole bunch they just found a whole bunch of um civil war era little artifacts and stuff like that um and they ended up selling those um just to collectors and made up their cost. That, that's basically it. Like no one really knows, you know, where it is. Um, if it's already been found, if it existed to begin with. Um, but it certainly uh, captivated a lot of people's interest for sure. So did, uh, did that Morris guy ever go looking for uh, Beale? Uh, it kind of seemed like, no, um, 
because it seemed like um, Beale was kind of a, like a transient character. So okay. he would kind of, um, so Morris ran the, uh, the hotel. Uh, what, what was the hotel called? Um, the Washington Hotel. So he owned that hotel and uh, Beale checked in once and then stayed there for a little bit and then left and then kind of came back again and left some stuff with him. And he's like, all right, I'll be back. So I, I don't know if Robert Morris had enough information to really go track him down or really know who he was. Um, and a lot of people that are really, really deep into this cipher have looked up um, census documents from the United States um, to actually look up to see if there was a Thomas J. Beale and uh, like back in 1820 records and stuff like that. So um, it's kind of unclear if he even existed to begin with. Um, that's very interesting. Yeah, so it kind of kind of makes me think like, Usually when you hear about stuff like, you know, sunken ships and stuff like this, there's all sorts of people um, spending a lot of money going on, like, deep sea expeditions and stuff, right? Looking for that, that the treasure from those ships, right? Yeah. Um, so it kind of surprises me that that same sort of thing um, hasn't been done, or maybe has it been done. What hasn't been done? Like, if someone spent, like, a ton of money to, like, uh, I don't know, you know, LIDAR the area oh, yeah, yeah. in that circumference don't they have because um, they know kind of where it should be right didn't they um yeah because they he actually noted like it's in the bedford area mm-hmm. um in virginia right and I, I don't know the like the extremities of that and how many square footage that would be um <clears throat> but isn't that how they found um the terracotta warriors like didn't they take a drone with um it wasn't like infrared, but it was some sort of uh, detection mechanism that could see um, like underneath the earth for areas that were like less dense. Um, and then yeah, that's typically how they found that's, that there was... That's called LIDAR typically, right? So... Um, was it LIDAR? Isn't that what they use yeah, on um, self-driving cars? Aren't they LIDAR? They they could be, but uh, basically it, you know, sends out some waves into the earth they get reflected back at different frequencies and that lets you know the density uh, between the different right yeah different okay that, that's you, exactly right? what they use um yeah so they they use that to find the terracotta warrior like why don't they just go over with a well maybe not a drone but you know just a helicopter and just lighter the lighter the, the whole area just find it perhaps well, like, it's not that simple <laughs> Well, like, you know, over the past 100, 150 years, right, since since this has happened, um, I assume there's been a ton of urban sprawl since then, and no one's found it, like, just digging a basement or something. Urban, urban sprawl in Virginia? I don't know, man. Maybe. You never know. I'm sure there's more <laughs> homes than there were oh, for 150 sure. years ago. Yeah. Positively. Um, hey, do you want to take a quick break here? Yeah, sure. All right, let's do it. Amazon is a website that will ship you anything you need in life. Literally anything. You can even buy uranium ore and start your own nuclear reactor today. Sign up for an Amazon Prime subscription and get two-day free shipping, access to Prime Video and music streaming services, and 20% off diapers delivered right to your door. You don't even need to take off your pajamas. Sign up for Prime using the link bit.ly forward slash Amazon Knickknack Nerd, which also supports this podcast. And now back to the show. All right, and we're back. So um, we're going to move on to the next one on our list here, and it's called the Dorabella Cipher. Um, so basically, um, there was this Italian composer um, in the 1897. He was uh, friends with this woman named Dora Penny. Um, to everyone's knowledge, they weren't... Uh, Everyone hooking up, for lack of a better term. They were hooking uh, Edward, up or were not hooking they were, up? They were not. Edward was married happily, so they were just, like, really good friends. Right. Is that a wink-wink? Or... Uh, I can't say. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're just good friends. And so, 
so Edward's this he's this composer um mainly uh, he he kind of dabbles in cryptography finds it interesting um so he he does stuff like that um so so he writes a letter to Dora Penny and uh so this letter is it's it's really interesting it's completely encoded um and all the symbols are like semicircles a bunch of semicircles connected. So there's 24 symbols. They're all semicircles. Oh, I've seen um, this one before. Yeah, it's it's pretty it cool. It looks really weird. Uh, it's it looks really really weird. It's like 87 characters and it's like three semicircles. It looks like a bunch of E's or threes kind of just rotated around. Yeah, it it kind of looks like. Um, have you seen on on Reddit um, people that post um, recipes from their old Russian grandmothers? Yeah, and that's exactly. Um, it looks like an old Russian grandmother recipe. Yeah, it does. And it also means something. So <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. So uh so he had expected Dora to be able to, you know, decipher it. And uh turns out that she never could. When she asked her about when she asked him about it, uh he told her like I I would have guessed you would have guessed the key. That's all he said on it and you know, they moved on. So so later in life she published her memoirs and she included this uh this letter the enciphered letter uh in her memoirs um and it's kind of you know people have been kind of obsessed with it since trying to trying to solve it um of course it's super short so we have that same problem where we'll never really know what it says probably but there's a bunch right. of people that have claimed to have solved it but because uh, it it's um it's something that he said well i guess you would have like you should have guessed the key like you 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 should have just known it kind of thing so it's it's maybe not something that can ever be cracked you know what i mean right so uh because you know they were really good friends they probably had a bunch of like uh you know inside slang and inside jokes that they used between each other right so uh and you know someone outside that relationship probably wouldn't be able to even decipher it at all so basically like was this a love letter or something or uh, no one really knows what it what it no, is right? no one knows because no one knows what it says right huh. uh, but Later in life, Edward, he, like, went on to become a, you know, kind of well-known composer. Um, and he actually had a bunch of pieces of music that he wrote that he kind of, he wrote a piece of music and then he would uh, encode that piece of music to be a different piece of music. Um, and he called them, what are the, like, the Enigma symphonies or something like that. That's um, really cool, actually. Yeah, so, um, and he did that sort of thing. So, it, like, cryptography was kind of a passion of his and it led to this, you know, unsolved cipher that has kind of, you know, taken over the minds of a bunch of people for a long time, and they still don't know what it says. Huh. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. That was a good one. Um, you, you want to move on to um, Cryptos? Yeah, let's let's go through that one. All right. So this one is uh, I I know quite a bit about this one because I've been trying to solve it. Um, I think I started like a year ago. Um, so it's actually a sculpture that uh, was commissioned in 1990 by an artist named Jim Sanborn. Um, it's actually located on the grounds of the CIA in Langley, Virginia. And essentially, it's a four-quadrant brass sculpture with a whole bunch of words drilled out of it. Um, in each four quadrants is basically just a whole bunch of letters um, that are drilled out of it, and kind of the sun shines through them, and uh, it's kind of a beautiful-looking sculpture in its own way. But the the letters that are drilled out of it are ciphertext. Um, so each of the four quadrants is its own ciphertext. The section one, two, and three, so the first three quadrants have been solved the fourth remains unsolved so, so those three quadrants that have been solved like has the artist confirmed that those solutions are correct yeah so people have been going insane over this um the fourth quadrant um it turns out that the first two the first two uh quadrants were solved using the same method it's actually a, a visionary cipher which we talked about mm -hmm. um in the last episode um so it, it it was kind of susceptible to 
um, a lot of the code breaking techniques that we went over for the visionary cipher, um, like figuring out the length of the key, and then from figuring out the length of the key, um, kind of like guessing at, at what the code is um, or what the key is. Um, so the first section, um, the keyword is palimpsest. Palimpsest, uh, sorry, palimpsest and cryptos. So palimpsest is um, a Greek term that means when you write on a piece of paper, or they used to write um, back on like um, uh, like sheepskin and stuff like that. So you would write a message um, on whatever writing medium that you're writing on, and then in order to save money, um, so you wouldn't have to get like basically a new piece of paper, you would actually scrape the words off the piece of paper, and then you might um, turn the piece of paper, like rotate it 90 degrees, so that you're writing uh, perpendicular to the text that you wrote before, just in case there's a little bit of the text visible underneath still, and you're actually writing a new message over top of it. So basically you're just like reusing you know, whatever you're writing on. Right. Um, so the uh, decrypted text says, between subtle shading and the absence of light lies the nuance of occlusion. And occlusion is spelt wrong with a Q. That's interesting. So uh, section two, it's also solved with a visionaire cipher. The keyword um, abscissa and cryptos. And abscissa is basically um, on the XY coordinate. Um, it is basically like a, a geometric length that you can calculate. Um, so when you use that, it says um, it was totally invisible. How is that possible? They use the, <clears throat> the Earth's magnetic field, and then the letter X. The information was gathered and transmitted undergrund, should be underground, but it's undergrund, to an unknown location. <clears throat> Does Langley know about this? Uh, Langley was the head of the CIA at the time. They should. Jealous. It's buried out there somewhere. Who knows the exact location? Only WW. This was his last message. 38 degrees, 57 minutes, 6.5 seconds north, 77 degrees, 8 minutes, 44 seconds west. ID by Rose. So, yeah, there's a lot in there. There's obviously some uh, coordinates and locations that people have pinpointed on, on Google Maps and found out that, like, what used to be there in the 90s and uh, just uh, a whole bunch of, like, satellite images because no one can actually go to the CIA grounds. Like, you can't just go in, look at the you know, the cryptos statue that's there and, and look at it yourself. So people are just going off of pictures and ciphertext that's posted online, basically. Um, section three gets even more interesting. Um, it's solved using a keyed columnar transposition. Um, I didn't solve it that way. Um, I solved it using the Cytale, which was the... Uh, basically the the Roman general diameter stick where you wrap the leather around it. Um, mm -hmm. I solved it using that. Um, this is basically the same thing as a key it does, column. It does the same oh. thing. Um, so this is an excerpt, basically uh, the memoirs of the guy who discovered uh, King Tut's tomb. So um, it says, slowly, desperately slowly, the remains of passage debris that encumbered the lower part of the doorway was removed. With trembling hands, I made a tiny breach in the upper left-hand corner, and then widening the hole a little, I inserted the candle and peered in. The hot air escaping from the chamber caused the flame to flicker, but presently, details of the room within emerged from the mist. X, can you see anything? Q, question mark. And then section four, also unsolved. Um, no one knows what's what's been going on with this one. Um, a lot of people have stated that they've solved it, but they haven't really um, because Jim, the guy who created it has a website where you can um, put in your plain text and he'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Um, to this day, uh, no one, he hasn't confirmed anything to be correct. Um, he actually put uh, a bunch of money that like you have to pay, I think 50 bucks to send in, uh, your plain text just because so many people were sending stuff and he's like I, I don't have time for this um 
So to give people a heads up, uh, over the years, he has given several cribs. And a crib in cryptography is when you say, all right, the seventh character in the ciphertext is actually this in plaintext. So he gave several plaintext words at the locations. And it's Berlin clock. And then last year, in 2000, at the end of 2019, he gave the crib northeast. Um, and it's actually quite a short um, section of, of text in the lower quadrant of, uh, of the cryptos. Um, so that's it. No one really knows um, what its purpose is. Um, some people think it might be a recruiting tool for the FBI. Like anyone who's able to solve it you know, will hire you for a cryptography team. No one really knows. It's just super interesting. I wonder if people have gotten it right, but no one knows that they got it right because they were hired by the CIA or the FBI. Um, the CIA um, did do an internal, um, like basically their code breakers worked on it at lunchtime. Um, so the only person that knew the plain text to it was um, the head, like the head of the CIA, and he put it in a safe. Mm-hmm. And apparently he said that he's lost it. Like he doesn't actually know what it is anymore. And the only person that apparently knows it is Jim, the guy who made it. Interesting. And you email him your plain text and he emails you back and says, that is not the way. Like that, That's actually, you know, what he's coined to say. Like you are so <laughs> far off. That is not the way. <laughs> A lot of people are going like doing the craziest methods because of the keywords palimpsest, so like taking the X's and lining up the X's in the ciphertext to make a palimpsest, like where you would write mm-hmm. two things over top of each other, and just a whole bunch of wild stuff. Um, especially with the the third quadrant, where it talks about him going into King Tut's tomb. He's talking about making a tiny breach in the upper left-hand corner, widening the hole. So people are trying to do that literally to the ciphertext. Like, I'm going to go to the top left <laughs> of the ciphertext and, like, put in a candle. So I put in the word candle, and then I get this. And it's just, like, it's kind of mad to read all this stuff. Um, yeah, people will just go to insane lengths when they have a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to take a quick break after that one? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Humble Bundle is a video game subscription service that selects a bunch of fun games each month and you choose which games you want to keep forever. With a subscription, you also get a 20% discount off of thousands of games on the Humble Store. I often find myself browsing Steam not knowing what I want to play, when that time could be better spent trying a handful of good hand-picked games. Sign up for a Humble Choice Basic or Premium subscription using the link bit.ly forward slash humble nerd. Your subscription not only gets you a handful of great video games, but also supports this podcast. Now back to the show. Next up, we have the Voynich Manuscript. Uh, so this one is really, really interesting and kind of different than, than all the other ones. It's, it's actually really weird. Um, so back in... 1420, uh, this book This book was carbon dated to, to have been written in 1420, and there's a bunch of stuff where they have kind of basically traced the provenance of this book back to uh, a Roman emperor. It goes goes way back. Uh, they can kind of trace the, the lineage of this, of this book. Um, so what the book is, is it's a 240-page book. Um, it's got all these, like, you know, crazy drawings um just like crazy drawings of like floating cities and like just flowers in between all the text and stuff um all the text is like decorated um some of the characters are uh, they call them these like gallows characters i guess they look like gallows so kind of interesting um, this but, is this is in 1420 right it was published 1420 this was written right this was long so, before lsd was invented right Long before LSD. So in 1912, a guy named Wilfred Voynich, uh, he was a bookseller. He bought it from an Italian college um, and brought it back to the United States. Um, and now the book is currently in the Yale University Rare Book and Manuscript Library. Um, so it sits there. It's the only one of its kind. Um, uh, but no one knows what any of the text says. Uh, people think... 
Um, it displays a lot of the characteristics of a real language. So they, they don't believe um, it's like some sort of substitution cipher or something because you know it has a lot of characteristics that other languages do um, in terms of grammar and stuff like that. Uh, but no one knows what it says at all. And it like, like the book, the pictures in it are just insane. Um, and no one knows what it says at all. Um, I, yeah, I think, so, um, I think one, um, university, I can't remember which university, but they actually took it out of the, the vault and did a high res scans of every single page so that it can kind of be looked at by the academic community. Yeah. Um, and they have it online. So you can actually go look through this in really high def. Like you can zoom in and the pictures are incredible. They're really, it's really, really good. At. Yeah. So some people, um, actually think, uh, that the document is a hoax, like created by someone just trying to stir up trouble, get people interested in something for no reason, waste a bunch of time on it. Um, but other people, um, uh, they think it might have been, like, so there's, like, another thing that happened on Easter Island. There was this, like, um, civilization there, and they had this, like, language. Um, and they have the writing for it, but no one knows how it's spoken at all. So, like, it, it's unrecoverable. No one can actually find out what any of the symbols mean because they, they don't translate to anything. They're not hieroglyphs or anything. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're more phonetic, and if you don't know what the phonetics mean, you're kind of screwed. Well, this so, is this is kind of like what we were talking about in the last episode, where you kind of need to know the base language of of what you're decoding the plain text into, um, exactly. so that you can make sense of the of the cipher text, right? Um, yeah, like so, you can't just always assume it's in English. Yeah, so because you know it 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 has these sort of properties that make it look like real language, some people think it was like some some medieval monks were you know, writing a language down for the first time that, you know, it was only spoken, never written. Um, right. And it's kind of been lost to the ages. So they think it might be that. Um, some people think it was aliens or, or even witches. Amazing. That uh, created the book. And uh, well, when, when were the Dark Ages? This was 1420. Weren't the Dark Ages like 1500s or something like that? When were the Dark 15, Ages? 1516, I believe. Yeah. So, like, a lot of um, text was just not written and not cataloged. So maybe the the language that this was written in was kind of just emerging at that time. And then the Dark Ages happened and, and nothing was written. Um, and maybe it was just lost in that. Yeah, could it's very possible that that could be it. Um, a lot of places have, uh, like, some, some uh, institutions have, you know, decoded parts of what they think things are. Um, they think it like is related to, uh, you know, some Latin or proto romance languages. So, you know, basically pre Latin, Portuguese, French, Italian, all that stuff. They think though it, it's kind of, you know, precedes those. Um, but that I've read a lot of things of, you know, that kind of theory being debunked completely. Um, just because like the carbon dating and stuff that's happened. Oh, sorry. What what did the carbon dating show? Uh, it's like they were able to trace the provenance back to like a Roman. Um, oh, in terms emperor. of dating the book. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So it was actually deemed to be like from around fourteen twenty. Yes. Yeah, they carbon dated cool. the book. That's an old book. A really old book makes no sense. <laughs> this is the one you got to crack open with the white gloves, you know. And just like turn each page, um, you know that episode with Mister Bean, when he goes into oh, yeah. the the library and then he messes up the page and starts putting white out everywhere. That would that would be like me with the the Voynich manuscript. <laughs> it would be not good. I'd touch it and it would just disintegrate. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing, um, because you can see the high res online of this book, it's so incredible. Just the imagery and the text, just how it looks. I, you got to go look at it. Super cool. Yeah, it it's worth a look. It's it's a bunch of drawings. Like you wouldn't have believed people were uh, in drawing stuff kind of this out there in fourteen twenty. Yeah, very very cool. Um, you want to move on to murder mystery? Yeah, let's let's hit it. Cool. This is our this is our last story. 
Um, I think it's super interesting. It definitely captivated me the first time I heard it. Um, so let's take the the time machine back to in um, Austin Powers. What's the name of the the time machine um, that they take back? That that car that they retrofitted. Um, oh, take man, back I with Foxy Cleopatra back to the seventies with the I, the fuzzy dice. I know then, what it looks like. I have no idea what it's called. Hmm. All right, well, we're in that. We're going back to November 30th, 1948. We're in Adelaide, Australia. Uh, we're at Summerton Beach. Um, so basically, there's a man lying against a retaining wall. Just, just his head propped up against a retaining wall. He's on the beach. Um, a couple walks by him, and they said, Hey, you know, that guy, uh, yeah, he, he hasn't moved that much then they go walk and then they come back and there's a whole bunch of mosquitoes around his face uh they tag him he, he's dead you know he's not he's not moving interestingly he's on the beach he's wearing a full suit they they report it to the the authorities the authorities come pick him up um they they look at his clothes they you know put everything in evidence bags and all that kind of stuff figuring out because it, it was kind of peculiar how this guy was laying um they look at his suit. Um, all of the maker's labels had been carefully snipped away. The content of the man's pockets, he had a pack of chewing gum, some matches, combs, um, some cigarettes that contained other cigarettes. So like uh, a different brand of cigarettes were put into a, another brand's cigarette pack, which was kind of Okay, weird. so it's not like cigarettes that have other cigarettes in the cigarette. <laughs> no, it's not cigarette-ception. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, different, more expensive cigarettes in a less expensive, you know, container, right? Um, no wallet, no cash, no ID. No one knows who this guy is. He's often called the Summerton Man. Um, one pocket was repaired with an odd orange thread. Now, that'll come up later. Um, so, then they autopsied this guy. Um, they found his spleen was uh, three times the normal size. He had uh, a whole bunch of blood in his stomach. Um, a lot of his organs were consistent with um, organ failure from, uh, exa- for example, being poisoned. However, when they did a toxicology report on him, they weren't able to find any poison in his body. So no poisons that they knew of. Um, based on kind of the damage to his organs, they kind of suspected foul play. Um, just based on how he was found, the fact that his the labels on his clothes were ripped out, he had no ID, no wallet on him. It was just, you know, super weird, right? Um, also, in the autopsy report, um, this guy had unusually large calves, and his toes were wedge-shaped, meaning that he consistently either wore high heels or he was a ballet dancer. Um, that was very interesting uh, to hear that. Like they, It was different enough to make note of it in the autopsy report. It must have been very different. Yeah. They didn't really know what to do with this information. They were kind of like looking for leads, trying to figure out, you know, basically looking at people that were walking around on the beach, trying to find out who this guy was, right? Um. They ended up embalming him so that they could keep around his body for a bit longer, just in case something happened. Basically, they were trying to get people to ID him, so get people in there, try and find next of kin. No one knew who he was. Um, they ended up taking a death mask of him, so they do like a like a plaster casting mold of his face kind of thing, and they still have this to this day. You can uh, you know you can see pictures of it online and stuff like that. Um, so they held a funeral for him. They um, uh, buried him um after he was buried um in his uh small pocket um sewn shut this would be like a pocket where you would uh put a um uh like a wristwatch kind of thing or like one of those um a pocket watch a pocket watch exactly um so they found a piece of paper that was printed on it taman should um, so it wasn't printed as in like handwritten. It was like ripped out from a book. So it said Taman should. Um, it's a Persian phrase meaning it is ended. 
or like it's finished. So then they're like, was this guy, did he poison himself? Was, you know, the fact that it was sewn shut in there is really conspicuous, meaning that there was foresight um, to that, meaning that maybe it was calculated that he was going to commit suicide or he was forced to do this or, or, you know, he was murdered and the murderer did that. Like, it's just uh, really interesting, right? So then uh, police had no leads, right? They were going around and they said, well, if no one knows him here, he must be like a transient that kind of came in from somewhere. So they started checking. Um, uh, one place they checked was a railway station. So they went to the railway station. They found they went to the cloakroom and they found a piece of luggage that was unclaimed, checked in uh, the day before um, this guy was found on the beach dead. In the case, they found the same conspicuous piece of unique thread, that orange thread that was used to uh, sew up this guy's um, trousers. And apparently it was unique enough where they're like, all right, this is related to the guy. And the fact that it was unclaimed and all this kind of stuff, right? The case that they found had gone through a lot of the same kind of practices that made it unidentifiable. So like all of the labels, everything was ripped off, just like this guy's suit. Um, they found um, some items of clothing, like ties and stuff like that, and penciled in the name was Keen or T. Keen, um, of which they have no idea who this guy is. They can't find a name of anyone who matches that that's missing or anything like that. Um, they found a couple of like stencil kits, um, a table knife, just, you know, like just random stuff that didn't really fit in with anything. Um, but they have identified it as being this guy's suitcase. Then they started focusing on that um, piece of uh, the, the Taman should that was ripped out from like a book or an article or something like that. And uh, they basically went to some academics and academics said, yeah, that's from this book. It's called the Rubaiyat. Um, and they're like, okay, well, let's go into this book and figure out, you know, what the book is, what it means, and exactly which book it was ripped out of. Eight months after the, the guy was found dead, um, some guy came into the police station and said, oh, so they, they released this to the media that they were looking for this book, right? This guy came into the police station and said, hey, uh, someone threw this book into the back of my car. And, uh, you know, here it is. You can look at it, whatever. And uh, they flipped to the last page, which is the last words on the last page of this book is Tam and Should. Like, it, it is ended. Um, and it, it was ripped out. Um, so they believe this to be the book uh, from which that, that um, little tag... Uh, in the guy's body um, came from. So on it, they found a whole bunch of scribbling, which was a phone number. Um, they called the phone number and it ended up being to a nurse. The nurse said, I don't know. I gave, I do know about the book. I gave the book to some guy. Uh, I think he's still alive. And uh, they asked, you know, well, like we'll follow up with this guy, see where the book is now. And the guy still had the book from the nurse. Um, so it wasn't that book. Um, and then they said, do you know this man? And they noted in the police report that uh, she had like a, a quick moment of shock when she saw the guy, um, the Tamanshud guy that, that was passed away on the beach, the Summerton man. Um, but she said, no, I don't know him. Um, so they thought that that was very conspicuous. <clears throat> then they looked at the book. And you know when you write on a piece of paper and it kind of has like uh, indentation um, yep. on it that's left on the on the sheet below, so they took UV mm -hmm. light and um, basically uncovered uh, the writing and basically there's a, a ciphertext that's on there. That's just a whole bunch of garbled letters that's very clearly ciphertext, and uh, it's quite short. So again, very hard to crack. And uh, no one has been able to figure out what the ciphertext means. No one knows who this guy is. No one knows how he was killed. They, they believe poison, although they can't find poison in the system. A lot of weird articles of clothing tied to him with names that, of people that aren't missing. The ballet calves, 
a whole bunch of weird stuff. I, I would recommend, um, there, there's a couple of good YouTube videos that kind of go over, um, they, they actually go to the beach where they found him and show where he was. And they actually have like snapshots of him laying there. Um, they have like the plaster cast of his face, the death mask. Um, you can actually go see pictures of the cipher. Actually, for all the things that we talked about today, you can see the pictures of the cipher text, like for the Zodiac Killer, the Voynich Manuscript, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, really strange. Really, really strange. Super strange. Wh- who do you think the guy was, Anto? He's obviously a dancing spy. <laughs> dancing spy from Russia with love. He must be. <laughs> from Russia with love, man. Um, like, And why, why was the word sewn in his, his suit? Like, Kind of makes me think that's somehow uh, related to the way you decipher the document. Yeah, like maybe that is part of the key. Like, for example, maybe it has something like it's a book cipher with Rubaiyat. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure people have looked into this. Like, it's one of those famous cases that obviously they they've looked yeah. into that. It's like the first thing I thought of, right? So they must have thought of it. Yeah, like the Rubaiyat is like it. It must be. It must be key to figuring out um, the cipher text in some way. Um, Everything about it is weird. I think that that's why it captivated me so much. Um, do you have any other uh, things you want to say about that, Anto? Like what? What was he even doing there? Why is he in a suit? Why does he have wedge toes? Why are his <laughs> calves enormous? Why is his spleen enlarged? Why does this woman recognize him but say says she doesn't? Like, and why does the guy that she gave the book to still have the book, but his book had the phone number in it? Yeah. Like that's like like, like it was a completely different right there. completely different copy. Like like um, how did that happen? So is that other guy also in on it and does he his book also have ciphertext in it? I don't know. I I believe that they looked at the book. Um I'm recalling cuz I looked at this like a year ago and I think this guy that she sent the book to they found him in the UK and they actually went there and looked at his book. And it still had the inscription. Like, you know, when people um, used to give books to each other back in the day and they'd write um, kind of like up in the in the first page of the book, like, hey, hope you enjoy this book. Hope it brings you a lot Mm -hmm. of joy. And then they sign it. Right. It still had her her signature saying, like, hey, hope you enjoy this book. So it was a completely different book. But she definitely knew about it. And the fact that she knew the guy, it's just super weird. Yeah, there's obviously more that she knows that she's not letting on yeah so still an unsolved case uh you want you want to end it there yeah that sounds good all right good stuff uh you can find uh you know more info uh about these um unsolved ciphers on knickknacknerd.com you can write to us at hello at knickknacknerd.com uh you can find us on facebook twitter instagram we're actually doing social media posts now which is pretty cool um, please leave us a, a review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, you can visit us on Patreon. Uh, I'm Greg. I'm Anthony. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.